So we're in a series called Building Solid Rock. And it's just going to be a short four-week series. Last Sunday we talked about sowing a seed. And how um, many of you have been waiting on God to do something in your life, but God is waiting on you. The seed has to come first. You have right now in your life based on what you've given in the past. And you will have in your future based on what you're giving right now. You cannot expect an apple tree without planting apple seeds. You have to release the seed. And so our scripture from this series comes from the scripture God gave me when we started the church. Matthew 7, 25. I want you to read it with me, good and strong. Ready, go. Rain fell, floods came, and winds blew against that house. But it did not fall because it was built upon the Good job. Wow, y'all are so great. Okay, today in part two, I want to talk to you about this. Give generationally. Give generationally. And that's a long word, so I'll give you a second to write it on your handout. Psalms 112 verse 2 says, The children of the righteous man will be mighty on the earth. Solid rock is more than what you see in this building right now. It is a church that is going to touch generations to come. Not just who we see here today, not just us, but we're doing what we're doing for our kids and our grandkids and those that come after us. Um, it is very important you understand that if we will build the kingdom of God right now, if we will serve and give and sacrifice today, God has promised us he will make sure our children excel in life. They can go further in, than we do based on what we do with our life now. Now, I know I, I believe that, that God's given me like an anointing to help people with parental wounds. Um, I have a huge desire to help people that have uh, wounds from the past and people that raised them. So I understand not all of you have great parents. I understand that. Some of you in here were abused by your parents sexually, verbally, mentally, emotionally. But listen to this. You can change all of that today. You can be the one to start the blessing in your life. You can be the one to pass down good things in your future. All through the Bible, they prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is a generational God. And some of the dreams he's put inside of our heart are not for us to complete they're for us to start and for the next generation to finish and the generation after that to add to it. But we have to do our part now to make it easier on those that come after us. You know, King David, he's my man. I love King David. And God told him to build a big church, a big temple. So David got everything ready. But towards the end, God said something different to him. In 1 Chronicles 17, verse 4 and 11, he said, David, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. Instead, I will raise up your son to build my house. Now, see, a lot of parents will be very jealous about this. They think, God, it's not fair. I'm doing all this work. Blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice. I'm storing up. I'm getting everything ready. And you're going to let my son take the credit for it? You're going to let my child walk in the path that I worked so hard for? But David knew it was a dream that God gave him, not just for himself, but for generations to come. So David told Solomon in 1 Chronicles 22, 7 and 14, Son, I intended to build a magnificent house of splendor for the Lord, but instead I've provided a way for you to succeed. I've prepared $100,000 of cash and talents of gold and silver, bronze. I've provided, uh, I provided plumbers and I've provided electricians and I provided general contractors and stonecutters and masons and carpenters. And I've commanded the whole church, 
All the short group leaders, the prayer partners, the elders, all the leaders of Israel to help you, my son. David realized in that moment that his destiny was bigger than himself. His destiny was for those that are, he's going to leave behind. Those that are going to come after him. You know, um, our life can either be a stepping stone that causes those who come after us to go further than us. Or our life can be a stumbling block. It can cause those that come after us to battle addictions, poverty mindsets, negativity. It's all based on how you live today. And some of you in here, you're battling things because your parents did not step up. You're battling insecurity because your parents did not affirm you. You're battling a poverty mindset because your parents never paid the rent on time, never paid the electric bill. You're battling things today because your parents refuse to take it to the next level. Don't pass that down to the next generation. You can be the one that changes all of that. You can be the one that calls those that come after us to rise higher, to go further, to be more blessed. You know, this property that we're on right now, um, it was built in 1956, this building was. And in the early 90s, when the Air Force Base closed down, my grandparents bought this property. And then they sold it to my dad for $250,000. He had a school in here and a college. And then he moved it one day, and he sold it to me a few years ago for $550,000. It's paid for now, and it's worth $1.5 million. We just keep going further and further because somebody that you've never met sacrificed back in the early 90s. Now, one of the most exciting things when we bought this property to me was that peach tree out there in the middle of the field. <laughs> I'm a fruit tree, and this sounds weird, I'm a fruit tree kind of guy. I'm not fruity, but I'm a fruit tree guy. In my backyard right now, I have apple trees, pear trees, different types of grapes, fig trees, kumquats, blueberries. We just walk out in our backyard and just eat all the time. And so one of the most difficult things to grow in this part of Myrtle Beach is a peach tree because of the salty air, the salt water. So it was so amazing to me that when my grandparents bought this place, they planted that peach tree and it survived. It took, it took root. So when I bought this property just a few years ago, the most exciting thing was waiting for that perfect time of year to go out and, and get the peaches. And I know I can smell in the air. I know exactly the wheat that peaches get ripe. It seems like every stinking year, somebody steals my peaches just a week before I get out there. I told you all a few years ago about that time I was studying in my office and that, that homeless guy, I was about to say that bum was over there. And I looked through my window and he's got a big old garbage bag and he's filling up my peaches in his bag. If I ever wanted to shoot somebody in the leg, it was right then and there. And so I, I run out of my office and I'm darting through. And right when I got to the door, if I ever heard God say anything, I heard God say, shut up and sit down. I said, God is my peaches. I wait every year for this. This is my peaches. And so I went back to my office and my face was at the window just thinking, dude, just save me one peach, just one. Homeless guy took all my peaches and I let him. So then this last week, it was peach, right? It was all ripe and ready. And I have plans for my peaches. I get about 10, 15 of them from me and my, there's a, there's, a, there's a saying in the fruit tree community. You might know, but it says, it says, was that funny? It says, it says a man doesn't plant fruit trees for himself. He plants fruit trees for his children's children. Because it takes years of seasons for them to finally bud and for them to be pollinated with some of our cross pollinators. It takes years for a fruit tree to grow fruit, you know. And so last week, I, was, I pulled my truck up and I was getting my peaches. And as I did, God, I'm not lying, I'm not exaggerating, okay? This lady pulls up on the side of the road. She jumps out of her, her truck and she says, 
finally somebody's going to take these peaches and she's walking over to my tree while I'm taking my peaches and she starts stealing them. And I said, no, 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 lady, you can't, you can't do that. These, these aren't yours. She said, are they yours? I said, well, well, yeah, I'm the pastor of the church. And she said, I can have whatever I want to. And she's putting my peaches as I'm looking at her and I'm not smiling. I said, stop it. Stop it right now. Stop it. These aren't yours. You're stealing. And she just keeps taking them as I'm talking to her. I said, these are, you are, do, you're doing the wrong. What are you doing? Like, stop it. Now I'm going to shoot you in the leg. What are you doing? You know? And she keeps taking it. And she looks at me. She says, are you a Christian? And I said, well, yeah. She said, well, you should give me whatever I want. And I said, are you a Christian? She said, yeah. I said, you shouldn't steal from a church. That's not what Christians do. And so as I'm talking to her, I said, I'm going to call the police on you right now. So I took a picture of her car. And here's her car. If y'all see it, you better get my peaches out of her. That's a Ford Explorer. I, I, I wrote down her license plate. And I sent it to Brian. I said, Brian, arrest her right now. And Brian said, okay, but I don't think he's doing it. I don't think he's taking it seriously. I'm very upset by this, extremely upset. So she steals my peaches as I'm standing there. I said, lady, I have plans for these peaches. What I do is I take my tentative and then I text like some of our elders and people that really helped me throughout the year. And I said, now y'all can have the peaches that are left. You know, but by the way, this is a giving sermon. I'll get to the giving part in a second. But anyway, and so she's stealing my peaches. And so Mark, you know, Mark, my friend, uh, he, I kind of, when I get upset, I call him because he's very, very, he has no personality. So he's very just neutral like that. Like he doesn't care about nothing. He, he's, he's, he's always just flatlined, you know. And so I said, Mark, Mark, I'm at church and there's a lady stealing my peaches and I'm telling her not to right now. And she's walking away with my peaches. And Mark said, remember when you lived with me years ago? And I was like, yeah, I remember. He said, remember that time we were driving out of the neighborhood and you saw this big fig tree in this lady's yard? I said, yeah. He said, I remember you told me to pull over and you got a Walmart bag and you went out there and stole some of those figs? Listen, there were like thousands of figs on that tree, okay? I probably took like 10, 11, maybe 40 or 50 of them is all I took. And I did go back to that house the following week and I asked if I could buy some. And she said, no, you can't have any. But anyway, and so Mark said, wasn't your sermon last Sunday on reaping and sowing? <laughs> he said, you reap what you sow. You stole from somebody and steal from me. Okay, here's my point I want to make. How many hundreds of people have eaten peaches off that tree because one man sowed a seed and planted the tree 30-something years ago? I, listen, I wonder how many people will eat fruit from the seeds that you've sown at Solid Rock? How many people are going to eat from the trees that you're planting right now by giving to this ministry for generations to come? You, may, you don't know my grandparents. They planted that tree, but some of y'all are eating the fruit from what they did back in the early 90s. Isn't that amazing? So I have three points here today for your notes, okay? Three points. Number one is this. It's your legacy. It's your legacy. Um, I want to make a statement to you. I hope you never forget. And that is this. When you die, you are not remembered by what you had. No one's going to remember you by how much money you had in the bank. Nobody's going to remember you by the property you owned or the car you drove. No one's going to remember you by what you had. You are remembered by what you gave. That is how you're remembered by if you gave help. If you gave prayer, if you gave affirmation, 
if you gave encouragement, if you gave out joy, if you gave out love, you're only a member about what you gave. There was a famous guy years ago named Alfred Nobel, and Alfred Nobel is responsible for creating dynamite and other explosives that were used uh, in wars and for very harmful purposes. He made millions of dollars off of his inventions, and one day he opens up the newspaper, and, and lo and behold, his brother had died the day before, and everyone in town thought that he had died. So they printed his obituary in the newspaper. Imagine opening up the newspaper and seeing your obituary in there. And he read it and he opened it up and he was described as the man, let's see, he was described as the man who became rich by enabling others to kill people in mass unprecedented numbers. When he read that about himself, his heart sunk. He was so upset, he didn't want to be remembered for that. So he took all the money that he made from the dynamite and other inventions like that, and he put it into something called the Nobel Peace Prize. And today it's still a prize that awards people for making positive accomplishments that benefit mankind. Here's my question. If you could see your funeral today, how are you going to be remembered? If you could read your obituary in the paper today, what are we going to say about you? If you could hear your eulogy what are people going to read about your life? You're going to be remembered for something. I have a, a dad joke for you. This cow and this pig were talking one day, and the cow said, I love to give. I give milk, and I give butter, and I give cream. And the pig said, well, I love to give too. I give bacon, and I give ham, and I give sausage. And the cows chuckled. He said, man, I like to give while I'm still alive. <laughs> What are you giving out today? That's how we're going to remember you. Um, in the Old Testament one time, in Genesis 14, Abraham just finished defeating this evil army. And he got all kind of spoil from it, all kind of reward. He was so blessed by God. On his way home, Abraham sees Melchizedek. Now, as a side note, some theologians believe that Melchizedek was Jesus in the Old Testament. Others believe he was just a type and shadow of Jesus. But either way, Melchizedek was the high priest. Abraham did something very unusual, and I'll tell you why it's unusual. In Genesis 14, 20, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. He tithed. And here's why it's unusual. This was hundreds of years before it was the law. Hundreds of years before God ever said it's good, you, the right thing to do is to bring the church 10%. Before God ever said that, Abraham did it. Abraham did it. Now, Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had Levi. Okay, that's the generations. Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Levi. You got it? Remember, everybody say Levi. Yeah. Very weird scripture in Hebrews 7, 9. It says Levi paid tithes through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was unborn, but in the body of Abraham. This is so weird. God is crediting Levi as being a giver before he was ever born. Because his great-grandfather was a giver. When he came out of his mother's womb, there was a blessing on his life that he didn't earn. He didn't deserve. He didn't do anything. But yet the person that came before him was a giver. And so God said, I'm crediting you as being a giver in life. Now, fast forward several more years, okay? Charlton Heston comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and, depending on what translation you're reading. Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, right? He's on, and when he sees everybody, they're worshiping money. Now, they're supposed to worship God with their money, 
Instead, they're worshiping their money. They build a golden calf. They're dancing. They're partying. And Moses was so upset in Exodus 32, 25, when he saw the people were out of control, he screamed, who is on the Lord's side? Out of two million people, the Bible specifically mentions just one group of men. Levi's son said, we, we're on the Lord's side. Out of two million people, the ones that were not in love with money, the ones that loved God more than money, were the great-great-grandchildren of Abraham, the giver. It's amazing. 3,000 men died that day. You know who didn't die? The sons of Levi. You know what happened to them? They were actually promoted to the highest position in the church that day. They became the priests of Israel. All because one man decided to be a giver, it affected generations to come after him. This is amazing. Listen, none of you in here got to where you're at by yourself. There's no self-made person in this room. Somebody sacrificed for you. Somebody gave so you could be here today. Somebody got, and I realize some of you had horrible parents growing up, but listen, somebody made sure you were fed. None of you were starving in here. None of you were naked. Somebody, thank God. Somebody made sure you were clothed. Someone got you to school. Somebody took care of you. Somebody sacrificed. I'm asking you to do the same thing for somebody else that they did for you. Somebody helped you get further. Proverbs 10, 7 says the very memory of the righteous is blessed. How are you going to be remembered? There's a, a man named Michael DeBakey. Um, he died in 2008. He was the world's number one heart surgeon. His, 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 his um, career spanned for 75 years. 75 years. He was the greatest surgeon who ever lived. That's what they say about him. They say that he had the most calm hands and could do the most intricate work you've ever seen. There are robots and computers today that can't do what this man could do. He created the artificial heart. But his mother was a Lebanese immigrant and she didn't have an education, didn't have any money. She didn't, the only thing this woman knew how to do was sew. And so every day when she spent time with her little boy, she would just teach him how to sew. Sew buttons, sew a hem, sew a patch. Little did she know those little hands would grow up to become the world's most greatest surgical hands who ever lived. All because a mom, poor, and see, there's hundreds of thousands of people that have been physically healed because of Dr. Michael DeBakey's work, but it didn't start with Michael. It started with his mother who taught him how to sew. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5, the faith and wisdom I see in you, it didn't start with you. It first dwelt in your grandma and then your mom and now it's in you. Here's what Paul was saying. You're here, Timothy, because your grandma prayed for you. You didn't even know it. She fed you. She took care. You're here because your mom brought you to church when you were little. It never mentions his dad. It never does. And you may be in a single family home or the father's not or whatever the case is. Moms, you do your part. Do you know Moses led two million people to the promised land, but his mom is the one that trusted him to God in the Nile River? We accredit a lot to Moses, but his mom's the one that had the faith to believe God could take care of her child. Um, I am here. When you see, I, I'm not here by myself. When you see me, I have dozens of people inside of me. I have pastors and friends and elders and people that poured into me, people that believed in me when nobody else could. And I was so blessed to have all four of my grandparents alive until I was in my 30s. 
and I have one grandparent left who's still alive, my nana, and here's a picture of her, and um, she's actually my favorite. Sorry, grandma and granddad and papa, I'm sorry, but nana was my favorite of all. She took care of me when I was younger. She's the one that practically raised me, always made sure I had what I needed and what I wanted. I remember um, hundreds of times I'd spend the night with her on the weekends, and I'd go, she'd go to sleep first, and I'd go to my room, and then I'd look to go tell her goodnight. Every time she'd fall asleep with her Bible on her chest, she'd be reading her Bible and praying for me before she went to bed. This big, thick Bible. I don't see how she breathed with this huge thing on top of her. That's how I remember her. Um, when I was little, she would pick me up, you know, she'd come to church on Sunday morning, and we had church on Sunday night, so I'd go home with her, and she'd bring me back, you know, on Sunday night. Well, after we went to lunch together, every Sunday, from the age of maybe uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, after we went to lunch, she would take me to this amphitheater in Darlington, and she'd sit in the audience all by herself, and she'd ask me to go up on the stage and preach to her. And so I'd have the bulletin with the scriptures in it. She'd give me her Bible, and as passionately and loudly as I could, I would just read the scriptures that were in the bulletin. I can still hear her saying, Amen. Preach it, John Paul. That's so good. She thought it was so funny. She even let me take up an offering after I got done. She still laughs about that to this day. She's 92 years old, and she's still leaving a legacy of faith. Now, I told you a few weeks ago when I was going through that emotional problem and, you know, I was scared about the new vision and it's not going to work and what am I going to do? Of course you call your nana. That's the first person you call. So I want to play for you a voicemail. She's 92 years old and I just want to play for you a voicemail that she left me. So listen to this. John Paul, this is nana. It's not important for you to call me that. I just wanted to call her to let you know don't give up hope. And trust God. He is not going to stand by and watch you lose everything you've worked for. And he knows how much I love you and I've spent the morning praying for you. And I will be praying for you every day. So try not to talk defeat. See yourself as someone that won the prize. And trust God in your secret prayers that he's working things out because John Paul, he's got many ways to work miracles. And try not to worry too much, honey. Just remember, I love you. Bye now. <laughs> she, she's 92 years old, and she's still... Listen, you might not have had that in your life, but you can be that person for somebody else. Okay. Point number two is this. It's your choice. It's your choice. Um, I said earlier, you may not have grown up with a family like this, but you can make the choice to pass this down to the next generation. It says in Deuteronomy 30, 19, I give you the choice. Everybody say choice. choice. Between blessings and curses. Choose the blessing so that you and your descendants will prosper. It's saying this, if you do the right thing today, it will affect those in a great positive way who you leave behind. Now, Saul in the Bible, um, Saul was the king at the time, and God gave him every opportunity to obey, but he wouldn't do it. His pride got in the way, his arrogance, he kept trying to kill David, all these horrible things. And Saul had a son named Jonathan. And it's very difficult to do the right thing when all you've seen is compromise. It's difficult to believe for God to bring you a house and a good job and a nice car when you grew up with poverty. 
It's hard to believe that you, that you can forgive people that do you wrong when all you saw was bitterness and resentment growing up. It's very difficult to make the right decision when the wrong people are in your life. And so Jonathan had to make a decision. Am I going to follow my dad and do the wrong thing and try to kill David? Or am I going to do what God wants me to do and help David become the next king of Israel? He was torn. But in one minute, he changed everything. 1 Samuel 19, 2. Jonathan told David, son, my father's trying to kill you. My dad, you can't go back to the palace. You'll lose everything. You got to hide out for a little bit. In that split second, Jonathan broke the curse over his family. He did the right thing, even though all he saw was the wrong thing. So a few years go by, and, and Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And one day, Saul and Jonathan die on the same day. 2 Samuel 4 verse 4 says, When Saul and Jonathan died, Jonathan's son Mephibosheth, he was five years old at the time, living in the palace. But when word got back that the royal family had died, this nurse grabs little five-year-old boy. She runs out of the palace, and as she's running, she trips on the stairs, and she falls on the five-year-old boy and crushes both of his legs. He becomes crippled for the rest of his life. He ends up living on the streets in a city called Lodabar, which is the most poverty-stricken area in the entire region. Fast forward a few years, King David's on the throne. He's so blessed by everything God's done for him. And one day he turns to his servants and he says something so unusual. 2 Samuel 9, when he says, Is there anyone from Saul's family who I can be kind to for Jonathan's sake? Saul, Saul tried to kill you. He tried to ruin your life. He tried to destroy you, David. Why do you want to be good to his grandson? Here's why. Because his father broke the curse. Because Jonathan did the right thing when the wrong thing was happening to him. So they go and get Mephibosheth. They bring him back to the palace. Listen, if there was anyone who did not have a chance, it was this boy. He, he's crippled. He's poor. His parents died. He has no education, no money, no friends. And now he's living in the king's palace. 2 Samuel 9, 7, David said, Son, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness for your father, Jonathan's sake, and I'll give back to you all the land that was Saul's, and you will eat with me at my table as one of the king's sons. I can picture this long dining room table. King David's on one end, and Mephibosheth is on the other end. He's got his crutches there next to him on the table, and he's being waited on hand and foot. And one day Mephibosheth says, you know what? I just can't take it anymore. King, I'm not trying to be rude, but i got to ask you a question. What did I do to deserve this? What have I done for you to show me all of this kindness? And I can picture David wiping the crumbs from his beard and putting his napkin on the table. He says, boy, listen, I love you. I'm glad you're living with me, but you didn't do anything to deserve this. Your grandfather was trying to kill me, destroy everything I worked for. But your father, your father did the right thing. He honored God. He saved my life. And it's because of your dad that you're living in this palace today. Listen, do whatever it takes to pass down that favor to your children. I've told you before a true story about a man named Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie was Al Capone's lawyer. Easy Eddie had no integrity. He would lie, he would cheat, he would do anything to keep Al Capone and the other mobsters out of jail. And he was good at what he did. 
He was compensated greatly for all of his work. But with all of Easy Eddie's money, with all of his influence, with knowing the people all around, the two things he could not give his son was a life of integrity and a good reputation. It got so bad he couldn't even live with himself. So one day, fully aware of his consequences, he went to the authorities and Easy Eddie confessed everything. All the lies he told, all the cheat, all the wrong that the mobsters and Al Capone had done. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was aware of the consequences. But he was trying to teach his son that integrity, excellence, honoring God, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it even when it hurts. He had to actually testify against Al Capone. Just as he suspected, his life ended with a hail of gunfire right outside of his home in front of his little boy. Years go by and World War II was happening. And this, this U.S. airman named Butch O'Hare is flying a fighter plane on a mission with all of his buddies. As soon as he takes off, Butch looks and he realizes his fuel is low. They forgot to fill up his plane. So he breaks out of formation. And as he's going back to fuel up, he sees 10 enemy planes headed towards his fleet. He had to make a decision. Am I going to pretend like I didn't see him and save my life? Or am I going to do something about it? So with his adrenaline pumping and everything in him telling him to just run, Butch O'Hare faces 10 enemy planes all by himself, diving and weaving in. There's explosions, gunfire, smoke. Do you know Butch O'Hare defeated all 10 enemy planes and saved the life of all of his friends? When Butch died, Chicago named their airport after him, O'Hare Airport. What makes this story so significant is that Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. One generation, no integrity, lying, cheating, stealing, and one generation later, honor, excellence, a good name. That happened because one man made a choice. You could be that person today. You may not have seen it growing up. You can pass it down to the next generation. Last point, point number three is this. It's your bloodline. It is your bloodline. You know, people think, um, it's my life and I can live however I want to live. No, you can't. Everything you do affects those around you. It is not just your life. You can't live selfish. You can't just sit around and take up space and take up oxygen. You were meant for more. You were meant to, to be a stepping stone for the next generation. Deuteronomy 7, 9, God is faithful. He will keep his covenant of mercy and show constant love to a thousand generations of those who obey him. A thousand generations can be affected by your life today. So King David, I, I told you how he, his desire was to build this church for God, but instead he set it up for his son to do it. King David was not a perfect man, but he was an extreme giver. He gave God money. He gave God. He was such a worshiper. One time in the middle of the, let's say in the middle of Walmart, David just starts dancing and praising God. So much so his wife gets furious and starts making fun of him and saying, you're embarrassing me. And he looked at his wife and said, if you knew how much God blessed me, you'd be dancing with me too. He was such a giver. And so God made a covenant. In, in Psalm 89, he said, David, I made a covenant with my, of mercy with David established in the heavens. 
I'll protect his seed or his children, his grandchildren. I'll show them loving kindness. Even if his descendants disobey me, I'll show them mercy and I'll never abandon them. David left his son millions of dollars, but he left him something better than that. He left him a covenant of mercy. So 11 years after David died, Solomon finishes the church and he has this big dedication service and all of Israel is there. And in the dedication prayer, the last sentence he says in 2 Chronicles 6.42, Oh God, remember the love and mercies you promised my daddy, David. In that moment, the glory of the Lord was so um, bright, the whole place was filled with a dazzling light. Fire came from heaven. No doubt Solomon touched the heartstrings of God when he said, Remember how my dad served you, how my father loved you. Several more years go by, 23 years, David's been dead, and Solomon wasn't making good choices. He got involved with some foreign women and they talked him into worshiping their idols. In 1 Kings 11, 11, God said, Solomon, because you've disobeyed my commands, I should take the kingdom away from you. However, I will not do it for your father, David's sake. Listen, if you won't give today for God's sake, at least do it for the sake of your kids. You see how God's watching after his children because of the life that he lived? 40 years after David died, his grandson Rehoboam's on the throne. He starts doing some stupid stuff. And in 1 Kings eleven thirteen, God said, because of the evil that's been done, I should take the kingdom from Rehoboam. However, I will not do it for the sake of his grandfather, David. You see the covenant, it's getting passed down and manifested from one generation to the next to the next because one man honored God. 57 years after David died, Solomon's grandson, this is David's great-grandson, Abijam, he's on the throne. He does the same thing, messes up. In 1 Kings 15, 4, God said, you deserve judgment, Abijam. Nevertheless, I will not do it for my servant David's sake. Here's what I want to see. One man planted a peach tree and hundreds of lives are eating the fruit from it. Last point. 300 years after David died. 300 years he's been in heaven. 300 years. Three centuries. His great, 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 great grandson Hezekiah is on the throne. Hezekiah is in charge of Israel and Everything's going great until one day this evil army surrounds the people of Judah. Huge army. Hezekiah is outnumbered 10 to 1. They know they're going to lose. There's no hope. It looks like everything God's done for generations and generations and generations is all going to be lost in today's battle. They don't know what to do. So Hezekiah just says, God, we need a miracle. There's no way we're going to get through this. Only you can save us now. In a split second, an angel comes out of the clouds and defeats 185,000 enemy troops and flies right back up. And Hezekiah people, they look around and it's just like, you know, in, in, in the Avengers movies, when the guy with the, and he does the little thing and it goes through and just kills everybody in one second and they just fall dead. That's what happened like that. God said, and the angel just does this thing, you know. Okay, they're all dead. And all of a sudden they start celebrating and they're dancing and they're praising God and they're feasting and they can't believe this is the biggest miracle they've ever seen. The most supernatural thing they've ever seen. 
Hezekiah kind of walks away from all the celebrating and he gets by himself and I, I can just picture him standing under an oak tree just hanging out with God. He says, God, you really outdid yourself today. I mean, this is a miracle. We're going to talk about this for generations to come. How, what? What did we do to deserve this? How? What? Wh how did you do this for us? Why did you do this for us? This is big, God. You saved our life. What did we do to earn kindness like that? And God said in 2 Kings 19.34, I will protect this city because of the promise I made to my servant David. Hezekiah, I love you. I appreciate you. But 300 years ago, there was this man. He wasn't perfect, but he did his best. And he loved me and he served me. And he built a beautiful church for me. And I didn't do this for you, Hezekiah. I did this for my servant, David. 300 years before. Now, I want you real quick just to picture, okay? Picture the nine acres, right? 300 years from now. A campus full. There's an amphitheater where there's a Christian concert going on. There's a, a private school. Kids that aren't even, their parents aren't even Christians, but because of the price we have, they're sending their kids there. They're getting out of school. There's a healing center for people who, who, who are out of town who are thinking about a divorce and we're just there to pray for them and give them a free vacation. Myrtle Beach. There's sports stuff going on around back. I mean, there's a festival. Picture all these people on our nine acres, right? One of your relatives, 300 years from now, they're going through cancer or their child's in the hospital or they lost their job, something. And they're on our property there and they're just saying, God, 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 I, I put on this face and I'm trying to smile in front of everybody, but God, only you know what I'm going through. And it's bad, God. We're not going to make it. I don't see how it's going to happen. We're going to lose our house or uh, the, the, the cancer's eating them up and, or my child's not going to live. God, we got God. Only you can do something. Only you can save us. And in a split second, whoo, the phone rings. And all of a sudden, everything they had prayed for is taken care of. That They got a new job, making twice as much. The cancer's gone. The child's healed. Whatever it is. And they're walking around, they say, oh God, what in the world did we do to deserve your favor like this? And God says, I love you, but I didn't do this for you. 300 years ago, there was this little church at Market Common, and your relative, your ancestor, they believed in a vision that I gave to this tall, charming, incredibly good-looking pastor. And because of their gift and their service, I promised them I would always watch out for their seed. So I didn't do this for you. I did this for them. Amen. Do whatever it takes to give generation. Amen. Okay.